Welcome to Coaching to Coach. I'm your host, Pete Townley, for the Upstate Performance Project. Hey guys, welcome to the show today. Um, I am recording a mobile episode uh, once again on my way back from visiting with my kids. Actually, they were with me in South Carolina. Uh, My boys were. And uh, I just took them back um, to to be with their mother. And uh, it's a great visit. Always always good to spend a lot of quality time um, with family. Uh, Family is number one, right? Um, So anyways, I'm in the car. Uh, So I say that only to say I forgot my microphone. So I'm recording this just with the phone right in my lap. Maybe the audio won't be very good. So I'm going to go ahead and do this whole episode. I'll listen to it. If you're hearing this, it means I thought this was okay enough to go ahead and upload. Um, Otherwise, I will redo this one because I think this is a a topic, something I've been wanting to talk about for a little while. Um, So the last few episodes, we've talked about getting in the right mindset. Right, and and today is a continuation of that. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a departure from the last few episodes where I've spoken specifically about some topics um, using um, my formal education in mindfulness uh, through the Holistic Fitness Academy, uh, kind of giving you some of those teachings. But uh, so this is gonna this is gonna kind of put things into a perspective of how you use this mindfulness um, as a coach. So we've talked about being mindful and trying to help our clients become, you know, have better movement, uh, better mind-body connections, right? But how do we as trainers use mindfulness with our clients, I think that's a whole nother, whole nother um, aspect of this. And this is not based on any any teaching per se. This is just um, something I've tried to make a connection with um, with my coaching. And again, it's a work in progress. Uh, I realize I make mistakes a lot of times, and it's about you know learning from those mistakes and figuring out what I did wrong and how I can do it better with my clients next time. So what spurred this particular episode um, is is really just a few things I've been seeing in the fitness world. So this is not going to be a rant episode. I promise that. I don't, I don't like to do those too often. I'm not going to do one today, um, but it almost was. And what I mean is there... I, I heard a couple things, I've read a couple things recently, o- over the last month or so, that, I, you know, it, it kind of took me a second to process. And, you know, there's the old adage, you know, if you don't have anything to say or anything nice to say, don't say it. Uh, and, and also, you know, you've heard people say, you know, if, you, if you're really fired up and you write like a nasty email, sit on it overnight. Write the email sit on it, reread it the next day, and if you still feel that same way, go ahead and send it. Otherwise, nine times out of ten, maybe you were you were speaking with 
a little bit too much passion and you might regret some things you say. So I've been kind of kicking these thoughts around in my head, um, or these reactions, I should say, in my head for the last, shoot, I don't know how long, but too long. And I've tried to figure out a way to say things and present things in a way that isn't bashing anyone, uh, but isn't also coming from me being an old, old school, you know, codger who can't, who can't uh, change. Um, I can change, and I've constantly educated myself, uh, not just through continuing ed uh, seminars and, and, and uh, courses, uh, but talking to other coaches, learning from other coaches, reading why they did certain things before I just start using them. You know, I might find something cool online. Everyone does, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But before you just see a cool, say, kettlebell exercise, go read why that coach was using that kettlebell exercise for what reason. Anyways, I can change. But one thing that I have noticed a lot in my career, and not this isn't just me, this is a lot of people I hear, um, a lot of coaches I look up to and respect have said the same thing, and, and now that I've been in the business uh, as long as they have uh, at the time that I was looking up to them, one of the things that you notice is things are cyclical, right? You have things that work, tools that you have always used, or, or, or let's say things you learned in school theories, um, ideas, or, or maybe a philosophy of, of a strength coach you, you studied under. You know, you use some of these things for a while and then you grow and you learn and you adapt and you adopt new things, create your own style, and maybe sometimes get into some things that are more in, on the quote fad side of the fitness uh, industry. But I always come back to some fundamentals. It's just like in baseball. You know, you'll see batters standing all kinds of different ways. But there's some basic tenets to how to swing a bat. You know, wrist speed is super important. You want to lead with the hips. So there's, there's a few things that you'll see all batters do. But then no batter has the exact same stance. So it's, it's one of those kind of situations where... You have to break it down to the fundamentals, things that just work. And a lot of times, I'm no different. I get caught up in trends, get caught up in you know some new things that, or or I learn a new topic, and then then I'm so consumed with that new topic that I kind of forget some of my tried and true methods, or I or I stray away from them for too long before coming back. So, all of that uh, is kind of the groundwork, I, and hopefully it's not sounding like an excuse ahead of time. But what I'm getting at is I've heard a lot of things lately in the fitness industry that have really disturbed me. I have made a career out of um, helping people achieve their fitness goals um, largely by looking at the behavior change aspect of their journey. So sets, reps, what kind of exercises we're doing, you know, a lot of that's 
chosen based on what they want, what I think they need, what I think is going to get the job done, right? That's, that's the easy part of the job, at least I think so. Nutrition counseling, you know, depending on where I've worked, uh, different states have different rules and regulations of what you can and can't do and say. And I know some people disregard that and just tell their clients to eat whatever or do this or do that. I've tried to hold true to that. Um, I think that goes back to my athletic training days where, you know, uh, liability was was, uh, something you thought about daily. However, as an allied health professional in the state of Kansas, I was allowed to give nutritional advice. So I I feel pretty confident about my nutritional advice. And uh, therefore, you know, I don't spend... Uh, a lot of time worrying about my nutritional advice to my clients. I, I, I like what I, I like my formula, right? Rest, you know, sleeping well, recovering. Again, I feel that stuff is all, you know, there, there's lots of different ways to get that those jobs done. And and I feel like that's stuff that we've mastered. By, by we, I see, I mean a lot of most trainers, right? There's a lot of different ways, a lot of good, effective ways out there. I'm not going to sit here and say one is better than the other. I have my personal favorites, uh, but there again, that's uh, subjective. So, where where I have made a lot of progress in my career is looking at the, the behavior change. The behavior changes are simply um, our ability as coaches to understand what the client needs and wants and what is preventing them from getting it, right? It's very rare that someone comes in, has no clue what to do and no clue that they really need, you know, what they need to eat and what they need to do physically to lose the weight. And I teach them what to do and then boom, they make all the progress in the world and they're great. Nine times out of 10, I'm working with someone that has has tried things and failed or doesn't exactly know how to get started or has so many other things going on in their life that they don't know how to get started. Now, these are all, you know, concerns. These are all roadblocks. But as you've heard me say, some of the models that we use are designed to give people the tools to get around these roadblocks. Okay, so for example, you could you could say you could be on one side of the spectrum. And say, oh, those are just all excuses. Quit giving me the excuses and just get it done. All right, well that may be somewhat, you know, factually correct, but we all do know, and, and most of us are more sympathetic and empathetic to the point where we realize that everyone does have unique challenges to their fitness journey right? Including ourselves. So most of us wouldn't just say that, at least directly to a client's face. You're going to try to get them to understand that there are ways to work around whatever they present to you. And in fact, I would make the argument that what makes a trainer a good trainer is their ability to help their clients get around these roadblocks. Now, I used the word empathy a minute ago, and this is really the trigger uh, that that got me thinking a, a, a while back over the last few weeks. I think empathy is a wonderful 
trait to have, especially for a trainer. But I think it can be, you know, taken a little bit too far when we start allowing our clients to have a lot of excuses that go unchecked. Now, that doesn't mean we can we can solve every roadblock that they have, or it may mean there is a roadblock in their journey and there's just not a way around it at this moment. Okay, we have to find other ways. That one we can't solve right now. Maybe we will. Maybe we can work some other things out and then that will allow us to then come back and look at this particular roadblock. But it doesn't mean that uh, we don't try. It doesn't mean that that's still not uh, an ultimate goal. Uh, It just means that there's other things we need to solve first. Now, when I say solve, I do mean trying to get the client to be as self-sufficient as possible. Trying to get them to recognize when they are about to run into that roadblock and how to get themselves around it. Now, there are working models that we use. I've talked about them many times. And I think they are very effective. I've used them very effectively. Chelsea uses them very effectively. The people who taught me these methods have used them very effectively. And I learned most of these in my traditional schooling. And then have seen people use them in practice uh, as I've gone through uh, my career. Now, again, without sounding like the old man in the room saying, well, back in my day, we used to do it this way. I, I want to say this to any trainer listening. When someone hires you, they are looking for a few different things in you. And it, and it might be a, a, a different mixture for everybody, but basically they want someone that is going to, you know, help them. They want someone that's gonna that they can trust. They want someone that's not going to shame them. But ultimately, they do want someone that's gonna hold them accountable because that is where they have failed, is to be able to hold themselves accountable. So the money that they are paying you is for you to keep them accountable. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be a drill sergeant and berate them every time they make a mistake. In fact, I would say that may not be the best solution. I think a better solution is using these models to recognize when your client isn't on the right track. And then to step back and say, okay, what can we do? I'll use a a quick example. And I've probably used this example before. And and, um, a client of mine who probably will listen to this and hear this, um, was doing well working out, but not losing weight, getting stronger, feeling good, feeling more energetic, enjoying coming in, having fun conversations, but wasn't losing weight. And losing weight was the main goal. Um, And, you know, I noticed this, but, you know, we stayed the course. Um, This person was seeing a nutritionist, was was following other nutrition advice. Um, And and again, I'm not saying that advice was bad. I don't, um, it may not have been exactly what I would have said, but, you know, I think it, it was fine. 
um, to a point, then it got to a point where it just wasn't working for her. Um, and I, I offered a couple things, a couple suggestions, nothing major, um, but, but some meal prep options. And, you know, we just, we just looked at what we could do. Um, but the, the thought was, I noticed my client having struggles with this issue and it's my job to then intervene and say, okay, look, this is what we need to do. We really need to tighten up on the diet because eating out, you know, several times a week is, is not going to get the job done. You're not, you're putting in too much work and too much effort to be wasted on, on a poor diet. And sure enough, made the change, uh, tightened up and lost, you know, 30 pounds over the next four or five months. Now, that doesn't mean that this client's always going to, you know, be, you know, always, or I should say, never have any roadblocks, never have the same roadblock come up again. But hopefully we teach um, and we we give that person uh, the tools that even when they do uh, relapse or or, or fall off the wagon, so to speak, uh, they recognize it and they at least already have the tools to know what to do to get back on track because they've had success before. So going back to what are some of the things I've heard recently that have just been somewhat frustrating as a professional to hear is other trainers saying, hey, it's okay. We know it's really hard and that's fine. You know, if this is where you have to be right now, this is fine. This is okay. And, and although that message is, is from the heart, and the message isn't necessarily bad to say to your client. I think what happens then is you're becoming more of a friend and a confidant rather than someone that is there to elicit change. Now, just because you're there to elicit change does not mean you have to be harsh, does not mean you have to be mean. It does mean, in my opinion, you have to be honest and sometimes the truth hurts and we know that that's life so we can sit here and say well yeah it is difficult for a lot of people you know it's not just as easy as getting up and you know uh yeah just just exercise a little bit more you know eat a little bit less just one less slice of pizza start there and and you know Exercise 10 minutes a day and build on that as you get stronger. We know it's not that easy, right? If it was that easy, I wouldn't have a job. But, and we know that everyone has, you know, a, a laundry list of things they have to get done in a day that can derail or impede progress, myself included. Uh, you know, I, I not only work at a gym, I live at the gym. Literally, I live above the gym. I have no excuse not to work out, right? But there are days where I don't get it in. You know, my day starts at 5 a.m. I mean, start work at 5 a.m. I'm up a little bit before that to feed the dogs, feed myself, uh, get the gym turned on and cleaned up and ready to go. Then... There are days where I'm working straight till two or three, and, and nowadays we're going over to 
coach soccer, I hop in the car and go do that. And then I've done it, you know, nine o'clock by the time I get home. And that was my whole day. Didn't have an hour to break. Now, is that sustainable? Is that something I want to do the rest of my life? That those kind of hours? Of course not. But right now, where we are in our business, and we're building, we're we're making strides. That's where we are right now, and that's okay. There's gonna be days like that, right? And it's frustrating. But if I know that I'm going to have several days like that, I have to make concessions. I have something has to give. What does that mean? Well, it means if I like to have an hour and a half to exercise by warming up, working out, and then taking a shower and being ready for my next client, taking an hour and a half for all of that, we'll say, I might have to get a quick 45 minute thing in or get a quick half hour thing in and shower so I'm not a gross mess for my client. Um, in other words, my, my workouts might have to change. Now, I can still have progress because I know how to change them to fit the time I have and the equipment I have and vice versa, all that stuff. So the point I'm making is even trainers run into this, this, these roadblocks, right? We're no different. So if our clients are paying us to help them navigate their fitness journey, it's our responsibility to make sure that not only do we provide them with the right tools to do that, but we also call them on their BS when they're not doing it. Or in a nicer terms, we help them when we know they're struggling, right? And a pat on the back and an arm around the shoulder and saying, hey, it's okay, don't worry about it, is fine to lead with, to let them know that, hey, everyone has, you know, everyone's got crazy life and things are gonna happen. You just got, you just got to weather the storm and then move forward. But you can't let those excuses be the limitations. In other words, what I've been hearing recently from a lot of um, online fitness folks that is just infuriating is allowing people to live in that state um, because of life, because life is hard. And I know people are going to listen to this and say, oh, well, it's easy for you, Pete. You live in a gym. Oh, it's easy for you, Pete. You're you're a trainer. You know exactly what to do. And yeah, it may be easier for me than most because I do know what to do and I live in a gym. Sure, no problem. I can, I can, I can accept that. And if you want to call that a privilege, fine. But my point is, when, when someone seeks us out, they are seeking someone that has the skills and that's not going to let them down, that is going to pull them up. And sometimes a dose of reality and a swift kick in the behind is what that person needs. It can be loving, it can come from the right place. But I heard, a, I heard someone talk today uh, in a podcast and they, and they said it beautifully. Uh, it, it was it was Mike Tyson actually in, in the Joe Rogan podcast uh, that I listened to today, and uh, Tyson, as you may know, is is getting back into fighting shape and he's going to fight Roy Jones Jr. in November. 
and he's in great shape now. And he was talking. Joe's asking him, you know, what, you know, why, why did he get back in shape? I mean, did, did someone tell you? And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I ran into a, someone I used to know, a trainer I used to know and work with, and he's just like, man, what happened, man? You can't let yourself look like this. This is ridiculous. Come on. And and Joe, you know, jokingly said, you know, who would say that to Mike Tyson? <laughs> you know, one of the baddest men on the planet. Well, Tyson then says, we well, say, like, no, that's exactly what I needed to hear. He's like, in fact, if you were my friend and let me get away with being, you know, lazy and unhealthy and, and, and you know, treating my body poorly, then you're really not my friend. You know, if you're going to sit there and let me do that and enable me, you're really not my friend. You're not in my corner. I think he used the word enemy. I don't know that that might be a little strong. Um, but, but my point is, or his point was, I should say, is that, you know, a real friend, someone who really does care, someone who really is there in your best interest or the client's best interest is someone who's going to be real, be straight with you, but give you guidance at the same time. In other words, I'm not going to call someone out and be mean, say, hey, you're being lazy. Just eat less and move more. Come on. It's not that hard. No, you don't come at someone like that. And I don't think anybody does. There might be some people that do, but I would gather most don't. And what you do is you you'd say, hey, look, I know you got to take kids to school. I know you got to pick them up. I know you have to get to your job and then go back to your job after you pick your kids up. And then you've got to cook dinner and you're a single parent and that's really hard. And then, you know, you also work a shift job that, you know, sometimes you have to pick up extra shifts or you're on call and you get called in and you have planned an exercise routine or a nice healthy dinner plan and that fell through because of your schedule. Yes, that all can happen. Those are all valid roadblocks. I'm not going to use the word excuses. Those are all valid roadblocks. An excuse is when you say, I can't do this. I'm, I'm not going to do this behavior that is good for me because of this thing that happened. And that's the end of the story. You can say, I ran into a roadblock today and I was not able to exercise. There are a finite number of hours in the day and that happens. Okay. Okay. But what are we going to do? That's going to happen again. Probably a lot. So what do we do? We need to have a contingency plan when that does happen. So that is where the trainer, I should say, that is where the client is relying on the trainer to solve that problem. And I I, I read a post that, you know, basically said just that, that, you know, they're the job is the trainer is to, to provide that behavior modification. That's the that's the goal, um, and and that part was true, and I, I agreed with that part. But the, the part that I didn't agree on that particular post was that they said you know it it is harder than just you know eat less, move more, and you know people have a lot of valid excuses. And again, it's that word excuse that I take issue with. I think the post was was pretty good except for the fact that they're they're 
opening that door, when you put it in language like that, you're opening that door for people who are already struggling to get their act together physically and nutritionally, you're giving them one more reason to take it out. And although that sounds like you're, you're, you know what, it is really hard. I do get it. It's fine that you didn't get it in today. Okay. Yeah, that's the right answer in the short term, but it needs to quickly be followed up with, but here's how we're going to avoid this in the future. Right. And, and, and maybe that's implied by some of these posts I've read and some of these fitness influencers. I think these fitness influencers, or a lot of them, what I'm hearing uh, is is um, a generation of trainers that are um, bringing a lot of feelings into training. And that sounds gruff. That sounds like that's a bad thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. What it is doing is it's not... It's, it's, it's like this. It's like when you're a parent, you don't want to be your kid's best friend, right? That's not your job to be your kid's best friend. Can you be great friends with your kids? Of course. Can you have a great friendly relationship with your kids and do things, especially once you get to be adults together and just enjoy the company of your, your friends, of your kids? Absolutely. But to try to be your kid's best friend and be the cool parent and, and do all those things to get your kid to like you, it sounds like it's in the right, your, your heart's in the right place, but it sound, and it sounds like that would be a good thing because your kid would be happy and get along with you and like you. Your kids need discipline. Your kids need structure because they don't know what they don't know. And it's your job to teach them what they don't know and how to navigate the world, how to navigate things you know that come their way. I had a great conversation with my son. Um, as you guys know, I am divorced. And there's a lot of struggles that come from being divorced when you're raising kids, co-parenting. It's magnified by a thousand when you don't live in the same state. Now, I've gone gone through on my podcast, you know, that things I'm doing to rectify that. But the point is when I have my sons with me and my daughter too, to, to a certain degree, but, but my boys right now are coming to an age where they have a lot of questions that mom can't answer. Mom certainly smart enough to answer. Uh, it's just too awkward to ask mom. So dad needs to be the one fielding these questions, right? I had some great conversations with my my older son this week and things that I know were probably bugging him for a while and you know due to the pandemic I hadn't seen him since since May so he's been hanging on to some of these questions so it was great time to sit and teach my son some of these things that he's been wanting to know now I don't, I don't do that and at the same time try to be his best friend, um, you know, in the same breath as I'm teaching him, helping him do this, I'm also holding him accountable for some of the things that I know he, he needs to be doing, like uh, not staying up late all night on the computer and things like that. You know, there's certain things that you have to set boundaries with, right, with kids. Sorry, I didn't mean to get off that far on kids, uh, on that 
little tangent. When you are, when you have a client, it is your responsibility. You can be friendly with them, and you can even end up being friends with your clients. Um, a lot of times that gets hard because when you have to crack the whip, the whip, it becomes a lot harder. I'm not saying you can't or you shouldn't be friends with your clients. What I'm saying is what needs to happen first, or at least a discussion has to be made, is that if you are going to be friendly and hang out outside of the gym, that 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 probably needs to be addressed ahead of time. I'll give you an example of that in a minute, but let me finish this thought so I don't get off on a crazy tangent. Your job is to make sure your client is getting what they're paying for and they're getting what they came to you for. And sometimes if we are too lenient, if we are too forgiving with some of their roadblocks, then that lets them think that it's okay that this, this, um, this roadblock is just fine. It's just man. It's just what it is, and it's it's. I'm just gonna have to deal with that. Well, maybe that's all they can do in the short term. But you need to also be telling them what they can do to get around it, uh, if not now, in the future when they're more equipped to get around that roadblock. And that is where a lot of the influencers and the the um, some of the posts I've been seeing are falling short. All they're saying is, it's okay, we just need to let your clients know it's okay, you know, if, if all these things happen, you know, if, if right now you have to be overweight and uh, not, not eating as healthy as you could, uh, not exercising as well as you could because of all these other life issues, then that's okay for now. And if, you know, and, 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 uh, you know we'll, we'll help you. We'll try to get you around this, but uh, but no, it's okay. They're not going into detail about how they're going to help or that they even should. I threw that last little bit in there. It may be implied. I don't know. You know, I and that that's why I waited so long to say things. I read that, and my guttural reaction was like, "This is crap." You know. But I, but I, I had to, I had to take a step back, and I had to think. Okay, look, it's okay to be empathetic. It's a good thing. It's okay to let your clients know that it's okay if they have a bad day, a bad week, a bad two weeks. It's okay if they, you know, weren't perfect in their exercise or nutrition plan for the week. But what is not okay is to leave it at that need to acknowledge that, okay, look, things are going to happen. It's okay. We got off track. Don't beat yourself up. It happens to everybody. But what we do need to do is come up with a plan right here and now so that doesn't happen again. It's not, they're not looking for you to just listen at that point. In other words, there's a lot of relationship advice, uh, particularly uh, given to the males, uh, to just shut up and listen sometimes. You're not always needing to try to fix things, right? And that's, I, I think that's true. I, I'm definitely the, the fixer type. And so when I hear someone unloading on me, you know, their, their, their struggles or their griefs, my inclination is to want to fix. 
And that's not always a good thing in a romantic relationship. However, in a professional relationship, that's exactly what you should be doing because that's exactly what you're being paid to do. You can still be empathetic. You can still be that shoulder to lean on. But you're going to be that shoulder to lean on and then help push them back up on their feet. So, at the very beginning of this podcast, I said, I want to give you guys, I always want to give you guys something you can take away. How are we going to take this mind-body connection, this mindfulness as a trainer and use with your clients? Not just teaching your clients how to be more mindful. How are you going to be more mindful with your clients? What you need to be doing is paying attention to what they're saying, what they're telling you, how they're reacting. Asking the right questions. It's okay to be friendly with your clients. It's okay to hang out with your clients. But first and foremost, you have to maintain that professional relationship in that their goals need to be met. And you are the one that needs to keep them accountable to the goals. That is what they're paying you to do. All right. Have a great one.